0: We are beginning today our new series in the Bible book of James. Um, If uh, you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1213. If you've got another Bible, it's very near the back. Um, So you turn to the back, you'll be in Revelation, flick a few pages uh, forward, backwards, backwards, I guess, and you'll find the book of James. Uh, And we seem to be in a, a little bit of a stretch of doing Bible books that people haven't liked very much. Um, Let me quote one prominent church theologian to give us a taste, his view on the book of James. He says, Therefore, St. James's epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to these others, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Not a promising start. That same German theologian, Martin Luther was his name, also said this, he said, the epistle of James gives us much trouble. For the papists, what he was referring to as the Catholic Church, embrace it alone and leave out all the rest. Accordingly, if they will not admit my interpretations, then I shall make rubble also of it. I almost feel like throwing Jimmy into the stove, as the priest in Kalenberg did. I've no idea who the priest in Kalenberg was. <clears throat> Throw Jimmy on the stove. That was Martin Luther's. Uh, at least at one point, his view of the book of James. James reads very differently to the rest of the New Testament. It's one of many letters that we have in the Bible written to Christians in the sort of couple of decades after the events of the life of the Gospels, after the the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. The Bible gives us a picture of what the, the church was like. And we get a load of letters written to Christians in that early stage of the church. But here's the question. Why has James been so unpopular? Here's one answer. It doesn't talk much about Jesus. If you've never been to our church before, and this is your first time or you're watching online, you'll have got a sense of how much we talk about Jesus from the songs that we sung. They are full of Jesus. And so is the rest of the New Testament. But for James, we get two mentions, two explicit mentions of Jesus. In verse 1 of chapter 1, the very first line, and then the first line of the second chapter. And that's it. Not very full of Jesus. But I think another reason that James might be a little bit unpopular is that James is brutally blunt. I think James was probably a Yorkshireman. Let me, let me throw a few of the labels that he uses to describe what people are like or could be like if they act in certain ways, the people that he's writing to. Double-minded and unstable. Dragged away by their own evil desire. Moral filth and Evil. Judges with evil thoughts. Demonic, adulterous, arrogant. Maybe we're already offended. I suspect that if James was living today, he would not escape cancel culture. He's so straight down the line. But a third reason for James's unpopularity, and I think this is especially where Martin Luther uh, fell... On the book of James, it's because we fear sometimes such clear instruction on how to live. Not because it's wrong, but we fear it because it can be misapplied by us and misused by our own hearts if we could see the inner workings of the the human heart spiritually in the same way that we can physically see the inner workings of a heart through an ultrasound, I think that picture would show a little person on a balance beam. You remember when you first started doing PE in school and they were doing like simple gymnastics and trying to walk on a, a balance beam that's like a foot off the ground? And inside our hearts, There's somebody doing this little balancing act. Trying not to fall off one way or the other. On one way, we would fall off and we would think, it doesn't matter how I live. Either because I don't care and I don't care about God and I don't think God's in charge. So I just do what I want. Or that little person is fearful for enough the other way... Where we know exactly what is right and what is true, and we think, hey, I can do that. I can do that, and therefore I don't really need God. That's what we might call legalism trying to do enough right and enough good that God will have to accept us. The rest of the, the New Testament and the rest of Paul's letters especially are, are at pains to point, to point out that we can never be right with God by what we do. We can't do it by ourselves. And yet here's a book that's full of instruction. Paul is going to say in Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And yet James doesn't talk about that really at all. He's coming with a list of instructions. This is how you should live. And so we have this letter written to churches that talk so little of Jesus. And so little about what Jesus has done. And majors on what we need to do, what we ought to do. But despite all that, we're convinced that God has given us this this book, these five chapters, these instructions for our good. And as we go along in this series, we're going to discover and address some of those concerns. And I think we're going to arrive at the point where we're not going to throw Jimmy in the fire. So here's what we're going to do today. Just really two things. We're going to do some background work on the book of James to help us understand, get a feel for what this book is about. And then we're going to talk about why it's important for us. So let's dig in to the background. Let's read the first verse of the book of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings it's a standard opening for a letter if you're taking notes I've got four subheadings for you all beginning with the letter a as we look at the backgrounds author audience aura and aims so author who is this James that is writing this letter there are multiple Jameses mentioned in the Bible. Two of them are part of the original 12 disciples. I've actually written three in my notes. And I'm like, it's definitely two. So I apologise to anybody that's following the notes. It's definitely two. Okay. Mark chapter 3 gives us a list of the original 12 disciples. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to that. Because we're going to mention that. Notice a couple of things in Mark chapter 3. Let me read to you. These from verse 16. These are the 12 Jesus appointed. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter James son of Zebedee and his brother John to them he gave the the name Boanerges which means sons of thunder Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas James son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him so two Jameses in the original 12 disciples now on paper I think we would say they are the most likely candidates to have a position of prominence and authority in the early church after the departure of Jesus back to heaven. Now keep your finger in Mark 3, we're going to come back there shortly. Now we hear next to nothing specifically about James, son of Alphaeus. We just He's not really mentioned as apart from being part of the Twelve. So he seems a slightly unlikely candidate to be writing this letter. James, the son of Zebedee, on the other hand, well, I think he'd be our first choice. He is one of the three closest disciples to Jesus at various times during his ministry. Jesus takes just the 12, and then occasionally he takes three of the 12 for specific events and specific occasions. So there's James and John, his brother, and Peter. So James, the son of Zebedee, has got the resume but unfortunately he retires a little bit too early from the story or to be more precise he is killed by Herod Acts chapter 12 tells us Herod's a a local king serving the the Roman Empire and so he's killed so early on because he's following Jesus it's highly unlikely that he's the the author of this letter So if it's not likely to be either of those two, who is it? Well, we're left with another James who becomes prominent in the early church. James, the brother of Jesus, or half-brother to be accurate, the son of, of Mary and Joseph. Now if you've got Mark 3 still open, here's our introduction to the brothers of Jesus. Verse 21 of Mark 3 says, when Jesus' family heard about this, the events that are going on, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. That's what Jesus' mother and brothers, if you look down to 31, they're identified. That's what they think of Jesus at this point. He is out of his mind. All because he's not taken dinner. And it seems as though James, the brother of Jesus, and his family wider, they don't get Jesus. They don't follow Jesus until after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that after Jesus came back to life, he appeared to various people. First to Peter, and then to the rest of the twelve, and then to many others, even 500 people at the same time, And then to James, and then to Paul, the the writer of that letter. So there's a, a James, who, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is an apostle. Somebody given a title in the early church, somebody sent by Jesus to witness to him. And this James, it appears from the early chapters of Acts is the brother of Jesus because in Acts chapter 1 we find after Jesus ascended into heaven the 12 disciples pray in a room and they're joined by Jesus's mother Mary and Jesus's brothers James is there James who thought that Jesus was crazy James that will have grown up with Jesus and seen him go from the carpenter's son to the messiah After Jesus has died and risen to new life, James is convinced. And so he's there praying with the twelve. And he becomes a leader in the early church. You can read about it in, in Acts chapter 15. He's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. James, the brother of Jesus. And he seems to be the one who writes this letter. He's specifically involved in in the early church and the the Jewish Christians and then the uh, dispute about the Gentiles being added to the Jews. If you're not familiar with church, I'm not going to go into that now, but James becomes prominent. He's one of the guys who, when he speaks in the room, everybody goes, okay, he knows what he's talking about. But when James writes this letter, and if it is James, the brother of Jesus, which it seems fairly clear that it is. As he opens up this letter, he's not pointing the people he's writing to, to his connection to Jesus as a brother. Actually, he's far more concerned to emphasise his love for those that he's writing to. So as we look down through these five chapters of James, we'll find over and over again, James referring to the people he's writing to as brothers and sisters 15 times he loves them he cares for them this is the context for those warnings and corrections that we've already had a little glimpse of he is a loving brother to them and he's also a servant Look down again at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James has authority to speak into their lives and into our lives. Because he serves God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's doing God's work. It's almost as though in this opening verse we get the, the royal stamp of approval. James is claiming no authority of his own. But only because he serves God. And we need to see that authority because, because James is going to speak straight down the line. He's going to raise our hackles a little bit. He's going to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because he's going after our hearts. And he's going after our lives. And he's going after our money. And our wealth and our comfort. Because he serves God. that's the author who's the audience who is James writing to when we get that funny description to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations that's an incredibly Jewish way of saying he's writing to the church to God's people the 12 tribes harkens back to the Old Testament To the book of Genesis, to God's calling for himself, a people, starting with calling one man, Abraham. And then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, has 12 sons and they become 12 tribes of one nation. And so to use the the phrase 12 tribes is to say it's it's all of you. It's all of God's people. This seems to be a, a general letter i.e. it's not written to a specific church we can imagine if he was writing to to us he'd mention specific people he'd talk about ewan on the pa or rich who's leading the music or angela who's singing he'd mention names but this seems to be a general letter that can be sent out to all the churches and it seems to be a letter written to a people who are struggling Notice that the people are scattered among the nations. That description of of God's people being scattered is also found in Acts chapter 8, the history of the early church at a point when the church is flung out across the known world because the way they live and their profession of Jesus causes people to hate them. And so the church is scattered through persecution. And they're suffering. Look at verse 2 of chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. In a sense, these people, this audience, are incredibly ordinary. Trials of many kinds, they are suffering. And they are struggling with all kinds of differences amongst them. Differences in status, differences in wealth, differences in opinions. They're falling out with each other. They're not acting well when somebody new walks in the door. So they're suffering, they're struggling, and they're searching. They're searching for answers in how to be in this world as God's people but not be like the world this is who James is writing to what about the aura the vibe as we read through James maybe some of you have listened to Ewan's recording of the book of James what's the the feel what impressions do we get Of how James is writing this. Well there's certainly an an Old Testament vibe. The way that James writes is reminiscent of parts of the ways that the Bible has been written. There are illustrations for example in chapter 3 that sound very like the book of Ecclesiastes or Proverbs. Chapter 4 quotes from Proverbs directly. Chapter 2 takes up the Old Testament focus on on doing good look down at chapter one again listen to verse 26 and 27 those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless religion that our god that god our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted. By the world maybe look up Micah chapter 6 verse 8 later it's got the same vibe about how God's people are to be but there's also a, a Jesus vibe a Jesus aura to what James is saying now we've already said Jesus' name is only explicitly mentioned twice but every theme that James is going to bring up is one that Jesus taught on. Mostly in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, if you're new to church, that will sound very odd to you, what is that? In the book of Matthew, we get a, a recording of a sermon that Jesus gives on a hillside. Three chapters of intense teaching from Jesus. And as we read through James... If we had a a little sensor that pinged every time we were like, hang on, Sermon on the Mount, there'd be a lot of pinging. Because the way that James talks is very much taking Jesus' teaching on murder and hatred, on truth about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. It's almost word for word. There's a, a Jesus vibe to what James is saying. So even though Jesus is not mentioned explicitly, we're hearing the voice of Jesus to his people. He cares about how they live, about what they do, about what they say. So we've looked at the author, we've looked at the audience, and we've looked at the aura. What about the aims? Here's three more little subtitles for you. Maturation, Destination, Resuscitation. Look at chapter 1, verse 4 let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything what does james want as he writes to these christians and these to these churches he wants them to grow up he wants them to finish becoming who they are supposed to be he wants them to be complete he recognizes in them and i'm sure in himself a need To keep going, to keep growing, to be mature. And so he's aiming for that. But he's also thinking about destination. Look down at verse 12 chapter 1. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Well, he doesn't mention the name Jesus much, James is going to talk about the Lord. A catch-all term for the three-in-one God, but also referring to Jesus. And so he's going to talk later in the book about the Lord returning. And as James writes to these Christians, he's got their destination in mind. He wants them to finish well. He wants them to receive a crown. He wants them to finish the job. Finally looked at, just turn to the end of the book. Chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Maturation, destination, and then his third aim is resuscitation. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James wants those in danger of falling away to be restored, to be resuscitated. And I think even as he instructs them about restoring each other in that final couple of verses I think he's summing up his whole thrust here he's writing to a church that's unbelievably mixed and he's warned them and he's spoken so strongly about the need to grow in all sorts of different areas of life because that's what he wants to do he doesn't want them to become evil he doesn't want to give them to give in to be having untamed tongues that speak wickedly. No, he wants them to grow and he wants them to be saved. He will be saved them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I think if you want to fill out multitude of sins, you'll be able to do it by the time we get to the end of James because he's going to list off so many areas of need to grow. And so the book of James, James is aiming for restoration, reconciliation. He wants them to be brought back to life. So let's think now, what about us? If that's why James was writing to them, and that's what's going on in this book, why is this book important for us? except in the Jewish part, this letter could be written to us, couldn't it? A scattered people, belonging to God, suffering outward trials and inward temptations, issues that are brought about by wealth or through relationships, through living in a world that has set its face against God or just turned its back completely. James could be writing to us. Specifically, I think for us as a church, James could be writing to us because he's got a heart that people live out what they profess. As he writes to them, turn back to chapter 1, verse 18. This is what God has done. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word of truth, the centrality of God's word. I think that's what we do well as a church. We're big on preaching, we're big on having the word at the heart of, of all that we do. But I think James is important for us because the warning of James. Is that the word of God must not only be believed, but it must also be obeyed. It must be lived out. And James is practical and specific in what that looks like. He's going to challenge us on our thinking and our speaking and our doing. And he's going to go where, if not angels fear to tread, then certainly preachers do. He's going to dig in where it's awkward and uncomfortable and notice too as James begins this letter he's talking about a reality that God's people can be deceived look down at 1 verse 16 don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters or 1 verse 22 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves Or one, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. There's a very real possibility that we can be deceived and that we can even deceive ourselves. How easy it is to see other people's failings and other people's folly. To look at other people in the congregation or other people outside of the congregation. To look at other churches and to go, oh I can see all your weaknesses. And yet to be deceived about our own lives. And because as a church... Perhaps preaching and teaching and having the word central is our strength. Surely wisdom dictates that the blind spot is likely to be doing the word. Obeying the word. And why is it important that we obey? Let's think for a second of a greater, a grander narrative. A bigger story than just us. God's people are the pinnacle of God's creation. We see that in Genesis 1, don't we? As God makes the world and everything's good and good and good and then God makes mankind in his own image and then God says it is very good because humans bear God's image more than anything else that has been made. We show what God is like. We still do despite all of our fallenness but when God is remaking the world and renewing the world and we look forward to when God will make all things right and when everything sad and broken is is made right, at the heart of that is God's people. It's the, the marriage that will take place between Christ the King and his people, the bridegroom, the church. So when God remakes this whole world, and when Christ returns, and when creation is renewed, when everything is, is sorted, the heart of that and the pinnacle of that will be a people who have been made new. Who are no longer fallen and flawed. A people who, in James' word, will be complete and mature. In our worship and our wonder. As we've sung about already, we will be saved to sin no more. Perhaps even as we've sung that line and we talk about sin, you know the reality in your own life of of a particular sin that you, you struggle with. God's work of recreation starts with his people. It starts with changing us from the inside out. And so the book of James is one of the tools that God is going to use in us to continue to mature us. So that we might, in the phrase of, of, of chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 1 verse 20, that we might produce the righteousness that God desires A goodness in speech, a humility in relationships, a love towards others that is practical and sacrificial, a patience that endures, a hope that is riven through our lives. In the good Father who gives us all good gifts, in the Lord who will return, in the King who will give us a crown. It's important for us because we've got growing to do. And it's important, this is a missional imperative. You see, what identifies us as a church is that we are trusting in Jesus and then we are being made like Jesus. And so we are distinct from those who are not trusting in Jesus. And if we're going to be effective witnesses here in Rotherham, in Sheffield, and wherever it is that you live. We must have be a people that are beginning to more and more look like Jesus. We must have, in other words, integrity. Our performance must, must match our profession. Not perfectly, but Increasingly. We must not just speak of Jesus and the Jesus who saves, but we must show the Jesus who transforms. His goodness must be reflected in us. His gospel must be shaping us. Otherwise, our message will be emptied of power. And I think this generation, the upcoming generation, will have no time at all for an insipid disingenuous message even if the message is true they can't see it in us they'll disregard us let me ask one final question how can we pray as we start out this series in the book of james we can pray that god would speak to us individually and corporately and that he would speak to us firmly and forthrightly through his word, so that we might grow. I was saying this, uh, the guys, at, at the members meeting on Tuesday. I think most of us know that we ought to be changing. But pray that you would want to, pray that God will give us a desire to be changed. Over the next 10, 11, 12 weeks. Can we pray that God would give us a desire to be more like Jesus. And that he would use James to that end. Let's pray now. Father, we've already together confessed our our sin. Lord, each one of us can echo David's prayer in Psalm 51. All of us, Lord, whether we would say it out loud or not, know that there is maturing to do. And we pray, Lord, that you would use the the book of James. Lord, your word to mature us. Lord, to restore us. Lord, so that we might all be that bit closer to receiving the crown of life. Father, we pray for ourselves and for each other that we would want you to work. Lord, we know that we need to, but Lord, give us a desire for growth. And we pray, Lord, that in a couple of months' time we would already be seeing some change some transformation and that might be used to show to the people of rotherham our neighbors our colleagues our family members that there is a jesus who saves but there is a jesus who not just saves in some abstract way but who transforms our lives that we would be more loving more generous more sacrificial more kind better with our our words people we pray and ask for that in jesus name amen